because there's no one central authority telling you what's up and what you're supposed to do. This is like everybody decides what's the best way and all of a sudden like-minded people come together and start moving in that direction. So yeah, and of course, open the gates for a lot of like scams and speculators and like strange businesses and all of that. Regulators need to catch up, lawmakers need to catch up, lawyers need to get educated, like so many things need to happen. This is What's Next podcast with Yumindi Francis. We're talking tech, blockchain, Web3, and what's next. Let's go. Marjorie Hernandez is a futurist and entrepreneur, fusing the ever-evolving worlds of blockchain design and technology. As co-founder of the first Web3 digital fashion marketplace, the Dematerialize and Luxo, an Ethereum-based blockchain for the new creative economy, Marjorie's remained at the forefront of creating forward-thinking, innovative solutions for creative industries around the world that seamlessly integrates into our increasingly growing digital world. She's been recognized as one of Vogue Business's top 100 innovators, and her insights are regularly featured in Bloomberg, The Business of Fashion, Wired, Forbes, Women's Wear Daily, High Snobriety, and more. Welcome, Marjorie. Thank you, you Mindy. <laughs> wow. It's so good to see you. So good to see you, Welcome too. Welcome to New York. I feel very welcome at the moment. Thanks. Tell our listeners where you're traveling from. From Berlin. All the way from Berlin. All the way from Berlin, <laughs> where I actually live. Regardless. Where you actually live. I live there. Yet you believe. stopped by <laughs> to talk to us on the podcast. You're on the top of my list every time I come to New York. So yeah. <laughs> I know. It's really great to see you. And I'm so thrilled to sit and talk to you about one of my most exciting topics, uh, Web3. Yes. And you are for sure a foremost authority. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So in 2019, you published a 146-page white paper, which outlined a new blueprint for the creative industry with a special focus on blockchain for the fashion and lifestyle industries. Many of the ideas you mentioned have come to fruition today. Let's go back to what you were seeing in the creative economy at that time that inspired you to write this think piece. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's so interesting to look back and the amount of time that we invested working on this paper. So we first had the idea for Luxo in 2017. We were very deep in the blockchain world. Uh, my co-founder was working at Ethereum. He was part of the Ethereum Foundation. And I was an innovation consultant at that point in time. And we decided after a trip to Japan that, listen, this thing that we thought it was very small and niche called blockchain technology is going to take over the world. And we should be even more active than we are now. And Fabian and I, we met where we're both we were both uh, students in design school and our passion has always been the creative economy. And all of a sudden we identified there's this amazing technology that is going to like really change and change the rules of the game that we had so far in the creative industries and really challenge that power dynamic that we had between, you know, the brands and the manufacturers and the consumers and the users and really redefine how the creative economy works. So we decided to put those ideas into a paper. I invested nine months writing it. Uh, we counted with the help of a very intelligent young man called Stefan Siedler. And yeah, we worked really long on it. And at the beginning, we were like, oh, we're going to do like 30 pages and like, la 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 very easy going. We didn't want to make a tech paper. We wanted to make almost like a social cultural paper that explores how this technology is going to impact this economy and all of the possibilities that is opening. So we went ahead and did that. Uh, kind of like explore 10 different use cases or a bit more than that. Maybe we went for 12 at the end. 
um, and, you know, focusing on fashion and art and kind of like how the creator is going to become empowered and, and really own their IP and really have an ability to enter the market that was never possible before. So, yeah, we did that. And then uh, we were having a bit of like uh, performance anxiety that we were like not publishing the thing. And then uh, we ended up publishing at the beginning of 2019. And it was very well received. People really, people really liked it. And yeah. That has to be an exhilarating feeling. And thank you for putting that out into the world. You You know, I mean, it's inspired so many. And so much, as I said, of what you guys wrote in that paper has come to fruition. And I definitely want to get back to that. But before we go too deep into that, I want you to tell us about your journey and what led you to this place. Like, where did you start professionally? Tell us your story. Oof. Okay, it's a very long story. How much time do we have? We have time. Let's go. <laughs> well, I'm I'm originally from Caracas, Venezuela. You and I share that we both have our roots in the most beautiful part of the world, which is the Caribbean. Trinidad. Uh, yes. <laughs> and um, yeah, I studied architecture in Caracas and I started college in 2003. And, you know, the country was going through this massive sociopolitical transformation. So at the end of my degree, I moved to Germany to do a second master's in media art and design. And I did that. And as much as I love architecture, and I think it's a beautiful kind of like discipline and have this beautiful uh, kind of like dynamic between left brain, right brain, being very technical and very creative simultaneously. I was like, I don't want to be an architect anymore. I don't think that's what I want to do. So I started exploring what can I do with all of this knowledge that I have and all the skills that I learned. So I had like a very interesting career path in which I did some brand strategy. I was freelancing for all different kind of like agencies in Germany and Switzerland. I was working for artists in Berlin. And then eventually I was hired at Ernst and Young and I was asked to help them build an innovation lab for the German speaking region. And I was like, sure, I can do that. Um, and, and then we started working in that project and part of like kind of like a hobby was we were very into blockchain technology like since 2013 it was a passion of mine you know venezuela is a very wealthy very beautiful country with highly problematic institutions and governments that are very corrupt and all of a sudden these technological propositions seem very very exciting for me especially thinking back as a kid how i will go with my mom to the bank and arrive and the bank didn't exist anymore wow and like all of the small moments as a child, it makes you like naturally distrust institutions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, in like first world countries, people don't, you know, more recently, yes, but, you know, historically people had the, the luxury of maybe, you know, trusting institutions a little bit more and trusting their governments a little bit more. It's things we take for granted. Totally. And it's really nice when it works, you know, but, uh, they, you know, we, we really exist in a space that, 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 that level of comfort and it's, it's really, th- it's so fragile. Mm. You know, we're really trusting heavily on the systems working for us and not becoming corrupted. And, you know, what we experience historically in Latin America and especially most recently in Venezuela, is that when this happens, it's, it's disastrous, right? Yes, and like, it can, of the threat of society. Absolutely. And then, you know, for me, it was very, very interesting from that personal perspective. So eventually around 2015, both things came together, kind of like my passion for blockchain technology and my professional life started like becoming one. And but that so, was so I want to go back to, since it's so relevant right now, yeah. our, our trust in our banking system yeah. and, 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 um, so, politics and our government and so forth. And so what is the 
unique, um, you know, proposition that decentralization offers? I think it's just a progression in terms of trust. You know, we have trusted, you know, like our peer group, then we trusted the church, then, you know, institutions, the government, and then we are transitioning to trust in technology. And, you know, the world is becoming smaller mm-hmm. and, you know, like uh, geopolitical boundaries don't necessarily apply anymore in many, many ways, even though we still live in that system. I think decentralization and decentralized ledger technologies is just allowing us to have a system in which we can agree what is the current version of the truth. Okay. We can agree in what currently is considered right. And at all times, and that version, we can all agree independently of where we are. If I'm in Venezuela or in Berlin, in New York or in Trinidad, that, that ledger is immutable. And that version of the truth is, is, is what is so appealing and obviously allows us to transact with each other in a way that is not depending from a bank or a specific institution or a payment provider or anything like that. And, you know, the beautiful thing about all of this stuff around smart contract and uh, what Ethereum brought to the table in terms of uh, blockchain technology is that it's not only about transacting uh, a currency, but it's also transacting any kind of products that you can tokenize. And that in a world that we know is going to become more and more digital and we're going to spend more time together in the virtual and digital environments, then all of a sudden we can transact with those products, right? And if you are a creator a young woman in, you know, in South Africa or Venezuela or Brazil, you can enter the market, right? So necessarily you, you need to be in one of those top capitals of the world so you can participate in the creator economy. All of a sudden we have a technology that allows us where technologies always allow us for, that it takes something that used to be scarce and now it's abundant. So we'll allow for creators around the world to enter the market directly. And that's Freaking exciting. <laughs> well said. Thanks for sharing that. Thank so you. going back to your journey, we were at 2015, Ernst yes. & Young, Innovation Lab. Yes. Yes. And yeah, so it was around 2015, we were really into, you know, like Ethereum, blockchain, smart contracts, what's going to happen, what's going to bring. And then Ernst & Young, we got to do like really interesting stuff very, very early. Uh, my former boss, which is one uh, of Luxus advisors, um, you know, he really allowed us to uh, especially me to like uh, at a very early stage explore what what blockchain will mean for so many companies in like the German and, and like German speaking kind of like economy in Europe. And yeah, we did very interesting use cases from automotive and pharmaceutical and really exploring all of these pro- issues around counterfeiting and or mm-hmm. like making sure that, you know, so counterfeiting is massive in pharmaceutical. So we did a lot of like interesting stuff and like you know like a, a, a car that will have an integrated wallet that will allow for the car to like pay for its own repairs and once we have autonomous driving like that car can drive around and transact and all of those different things so we did that and it was an amazing experience and eventually my wonderful lo- boss left Ern- Ernst and Young and uh, I, I, I decided that this is also a great time for me to like go ahead and leave the comfort of, of my job and go into a new challenge of building something that is 100% our vision and, you know, really put something out in the world that, that, that really sync, like is in sync with our, with our values. And, you know, like I'm Venezuelan, my co-founder was born in former East Germany. So we have, you know, there's a, there's a component of like the experience that we have had in the world, that we have in the world growing up, like he going through, you know, the fall of the Berlin Wall and all of these different transformations. And then we realizing like, this is a massive time in history in which we can put out there something that we truly believe on, that we're proud of, 
and hopefully creating tools that are open source and like useful for creators all over the world. And then they can make money and like transact and have fun and build the future. So that was Amazing. what we want to do. Awesome. Awesome. So let's talk in depth about the two companies that you've co-founded today, Luxo and the Dematerialize. Walk us through how you came to start these two companies. Yeah. So as I said, you know, Luxo, we started in 2017 and it's, it's a massive task that Fabian and I took upon us. And, you know, the goal with Luxo is to be it's its own blockchain network is, you know, kind of like a sister chain to Ethereum is how we see it. Um, and it's catering like kind of build with the, with the purpose of fulfilling the needs of that creator kind of group of people. And in order to do that, we're proposing an array of smart contract standards and different tools that are required for creators to actually use the blockchain, right? Because the, one of the reasons why I think people get so kind of like confused or intimidated about what is this whole thing with blockchain is that you you don't see it, you don't know how to use it, you don't know where to start, right? It's like a very almost esoterical concept sometimes. And you know, what we're doing is pr pretty much like creating all of those tools that are required to make it factual. Like, this is what you have to do. So since some of our listeners might not be <laughs> into this space or understanding this space, of course, they've heard of it. Yeah. What does Ethereum mean to uh, you know, Web3 in the blockchain. Yeah. What is what is a blockchain? What, uh, you know, just give us a little ground. Amazing. Before okay. we continue through. I now. really hope that my uh, tech team does, doesn't listen to this podcast because they will be <laughs> like, Marjorie, what are you seeing? No, but I'm, I'm gonna, and I, I, I will say this is the way I interpret it for myself as, as a person who, you know, I am able to liaise with my tech team, but I'm myself not the person who is building any of these things. In layman terms. Yes, yeah, let's go. go. Um, so the way I like to see blockchains, I think this is the easiest way to put it. It's like all of us who were born in the 80s, we remember a time where we downloaded content out of the internet, uh, potentially illegally, via things like BitTorrent. And BitTorrent was the reason why we could download. It was a peer-to-peer -peer network. And we all experienced that moment that you are trying to download a piece, but it's not finishing because that person who has that piece is not online. So that was a peer-to-peer -peer network, just like blockchain technologies. Uh, the beautiful thing about blockchain technologies, you have to imagine it is a peer-to-peer -peer network, just like BitTorrent, uh, with the fact that on top of it, have solved a problem that existed in the world of cryptography, unaware to most of us. Um, that is the double spending issue. There is a fact, if you, you mean this says, Marjorie, I love your jacket. I want to buy it. I will send you this hundred digital dollars. In a decentralized network technology, how do we make sure or in any network that the hundred dollars that you sent me have actually been spent? Because they're digital, right? Not normally if I send you a picture, I can send it to you. I can send it to Josiah. I can send it to Sarah multiple, multiple times. But in the case of like valuing assets, those assets actually need to be spent. And that's what they solved. All of a the sudden, they found a way that if you send me the hundred dollars, those hundred dollars that you send me are unique and you don't have them anymore. Perfect. And that's what they solved. Sounds very simple, but that's what the Bitcoin white paper kind of like solved. And that was the beginning of like this whole shabang we're into right now. Um, and the beautiful thing about Ethereum when Ethereum came around is that they took the same principle that Bitcoin had proposed, but they took it to the next level. So again, in my head, the way I see it is like if Bitcoin was a calculator, Ethereum is a computer. Okay. So Bitcoin, we allow you to spend money um, and send money and transact globally in a decentralized fashion. Ethereum allows you or any Ethereum-based blockchain, such as Luxo, 
will allow you to transact pretty much anything that you can uh, kind of like convert into a smart contract. Then you can call them NFTs or otherwise. But that's, that's the beauty. And that's what opened kind of like this amazing gates of this new world of possibilities that literally didn't exist before. Wonderful, wonderful. So you, fa- you co-founded Luxo. Yes. And how did that evolve into the dematerialized? When yeah. did that? Yeah. You know, it's very interesting because we were like running around with this white paper <laughs> and like explaining people what we were doing. And the people, Luxo white the paper. The Luxo white paper. Yes. And people were like very inspired. But it seemed for most people that this was so far-fetched. Right. That we are like this like sci-fi futurist that this right. stuff is going to happen once upon a time in way in the future. And we we're like, guys, no, actually it's going to f- happen sooner. And I realized we, I need to demonstrate it in an user-centric fashion. You know, not something that is like so abstract as Luxo is because Luxo is meant as a protocol to disappear in the background. Users don't necessarily need to know what it is. Yeah, they just interact with it, but they don't know it. Just like we do in our daily lives with much things that we don't really know that we're utilizing. Luxo is the engine behind exactly. the Web3 operations. Exactly. Brava. Exactly. And then I, I was really following this very small kind of like niche trend around like digital assets, digital fashion and sneakers kind of like exiting the gaming world. Like all of a sudden you have creators just creating these digital assets. They were not meant necessarily just for a game and they were not made specifically for a game they were just made for the digital environment at large um and this was one of the propositions that we had in a white paper but all of a sudden the creators started emerging and i decided uh with my co-founder karina to start um the dematerialize as a destination to really allow users to enter kind of like web3 in a way that is not intimidating and provide them with a lot of fun cool awesome products and experiences so effectively, what users can do once they arrive to the dematerialize, it looks and feels like a regular e-commerce, uh, but most, if not all of our products are just digital and they exist, register on a decentralized layer technology uh, uh, thing like Luxo, for example, or Ethereum. And uh, users can buy them and then they can experience and enjoy them in different virtual environments, even if it's in-game usage like Sansar, VR, chat all of those things, Roblox, or take them as a filter to enjoy in social media. Got it, got it. Yeah. So the web experience for the dematerializer is truly innovative with its interface look and feel. It's one of the first platforms that I discovered and truly got me excited about Web3. I Discovering the dematerialized one day, I was like, oh my goodness. And just the way you communicated everything, your videos, your visuals was so um, educational for me and got me very excited and interested in the space. Considering my background, it was very relatable. So can you tell me about your approach to the platform's concept and the user experience? Oh, that is so awesome to hear. You don't know how happy it makes me to hear that, uh, <laughs> that you actually enjoyed it. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, for us was about, you know, because at the beginning with blockchain technology, you have so many, like, uh, not to be redundant, technologists and cryptographers and mathematicians involved there solving the big problems, right? Mm-hmm. But then we have to take it and bring it down to the world where we are all operating. That we want to like do cool, interesting stuff that we enjoy. And obviously it's fantastic that the thing is aligned with our values. So our, our goal was to like, let's bring this directly to the users, make it as fun as we can, 
make the Web3 experience as easy as possible. Because at that point in time, a lot of people, especially a lot of my female friends, they were so interested in Web3, but they were not really active participating because they were intimidated by the whole thing. Like, where do I start? And, you know, we do remember, those of us who were born in the 80s, we remember <laughs> like the beginnings of the web, right? And yeah. um, even though, you know, it was all the pieces were there, it took a couple of years, if not decades, until we have all of these amazing, insanely powerful tools that make the web so incredible. Um, and then, yeah, so we decided to like, just create something that is made for the user, something that people can really love and relate to. And, you know, in that way, also, like you said, educate them. Like, this is the way you enter to Web3 and you don't have to be intimidated. And this is, these assets are like, have superpowers. They're like the Swiss army of products, right? They don't get old. They just get better. They get upgrades. They give you access. They can do all of these things. They're computer programs, effectively. And that's the thing when I think in Web3, we also use different words for things that people already know. Yes. Like smart contracts, like it is a small computer program. That's what a smart contract mm -hmm. is, right? So things like that, and all of a sudden make it accessible. And 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 the, for me, the incredible realization was my phone wouldn't start ringing, you mean, the, in, the, in the summer of 2020. People calling me, this is what you were talking about. Uh I so get this it. is it. Now I get it. And it was like, and, and my co-founder at Lux of Fabian, he was like, I don't understand. Why, why did they get it now? They didn't get it before. And I was like, well, because this is accessible. Yes. It's usable and, and it's beautiful also. So that's, that's our mission. And that's kind of like my personal ethos. I heard years ago, this beautiful sentence, I think it's by, by an economist that he said, uh, or she said that technology has to be either beautiful or invisible. And I, I really subscribe to that ethos. And then that's what we, our goal was with Luxo, but especially with the dematerialized, going directly for those fashion users, for those gamers and like, come join us and let, let's make Web3 real. Job well done. I remember mm -hmm. discovering um, the platform, probably via social media or something of, of this nature, learning about the fact that in a couple of days we're doing a drop. Signing up, getting the alerts and hearing, you know, this is going live now and then going in there to get my NFTs, oh, wow. you know. And so it was that simple and that easy for so many people to yeah. enter into the Web3 space, but be a part of a community 100%. and be a part of um, something new and fresh and exciting, which is, you know, still still happening and growing. Yeah. So the Metropolitan Museum of Arts Costume Institute Exhibition is currently paying homage to fashion icon, the late Karl Lagerfeld. And we are getting ready for the Met. By the time this airs, the Met will have happened. Yes. Uh, Dematerialized has had the honor of releasing Karl Lagerfeld's NFT on the marketplace. That was very, very exciting. Can you tell us about that experience and how it came to be? This is honestly, you mean, the one of the kind of like the moments of my life that made me feel always like so lucky. Like, how this happen? If I will like go oh, yeah. back to Caracas, 13-year-old <laughs> Marjorie and tell her like, yo, by the time you are 37, this stuff is going to be happening. I, I will be in awe. Um, we have a beautiful and very serendipitous relationship with Karl Lagerfeld as a figure. And it comes from different ends of like our, our journey in both companies and both projects. The first stop was our first advisor for Luxo, and you have to imagine pitching this in 2018, is the, still today, the president of Chanel Europe, uh, Bernd Hauptkorn. He was our first advisor, and I couldn't believe that he was interested. I mean, we met him, I pitched 
pitch and pitch. And he was like, you're smart. I like you. <laughs> Send me that paper. I'm going to read it. And, and, and we were very lucky that he decided to kind of like support our mission because as a young startup, having a figure like that as your advisor was very significant. Um, and then we fast forward a couple of years and then I meet a, a friend of mine that I met in Paris. He tells me like, you should meet my father. He will really like you. And I'm thinking the father is like this, I don't know, investment banker was what came to my head. And then when I finally meet him, he's potentially one of the most iconic people I have met in my life. And his name was, unfortunately, he passed in December last year and he didn't get to see uh, the Met Gala happening uh, in this specific about Karl Lagerfeld because he was the image director of Chanel for 34 years. And he and Karl were like a work couple, right? They did everything together. Um, the first photo shoot that uh, Carl did, it was in his life. It was because he was complaining and Carl and Eric told him like, if you know better, why you don't do it yourself? <laughs> and then he, you know, in a very French way, yeah. that French sassiness that we all like. And Carl went and, and shot the first shoot and um, they had a very close relationship. Uh, Carl designed shirts only for Eric and get them made for him. And that was the shirt that he would wear every day. Um, and I did the same thing that I do to everybody, man. I told him the story about Loxon and the materialized and he loved it. And he told me, Carl will have loved it. He, um, this was shortly after Carl passed and he told me he was always into technology. He was the first guy to get the newest iPhone. He will buy iPhones for everybody. Like everybody needs to have the latest iPhone. And he, you know, he basically showed me that how, an industry that in my mind seems so far away coming from Caracas, all of a sudden became, was so accessible and so friendly and yeah. so special as, as he was. So Eric became as well as advisor and a, a wonderful friend and mentor in many, many ways. And, you know, Carl, um, Eric inherited um, Carl's photographic archive. All of the pictures he ever took are, were Eric's. And then Eric and his family, who he has a fantastic family, and I, we started working on this project of bringing the archive to, to the blockchain and make it uh, last forever and capture so many of those memories that, that Eric remembers of those shoots. And we're still working on it. And, Brilliant. and that caught the attention of Carl Lagerfeld, the brand. Um, and, and that's the reason why we are participating in the Met Gala, the, the fantastic team at the Carl Lagerfeld brand. Um, you know, we had a few conversations that were really interested in entering the space of understanding how can we translate the, the incredible ethos and vision of, of, of Karl Lagerfeld into this new world that is happening. Uh, I call it the metaverse or, or otherwise. Um, and, you know, Karl Lagerfeld is, was famous for this sentence. I'm possibly misquoting him, but it was something like, uh, embrace, like, embrace the, the present and, and, and envision the future, something like that. So he was primarily interested in the future so that the brand Carl Lagerfeld is, is, is doing the same. So we've been very fortunate since being able to share with them that journey to entering Web3, entering the dematerialized world, entering the world of digital only, only products that I'm, we are all very sure Carl has loved himself. So yeah, so we are in a surreal fashion involved in this amazing historical moment. And together with them, we have a couple of things in the making. That we will show on Monday. Oh my May goodness! 1st. Exciting, exciting. Yes. Well, we'll have to follow up on that. That's yes. really brilliant. Yes, um, it's so wonderful to hear. And I just remember feeling the sheer joy and excitement 
of seeing. I didn't I didn't snag one. <laughs> I missed out. I must have been traveling or something, but it was really great seeing everyone repose their NFTs. And it's, you know, such an iconic piece and for years to come, right? hundred percent. And the first time when we released the first Karl Lagerfeld doll um, was on his birthday on, I think, 2021, if, right. if, if I'm correct. And I was actually here in New York and I was walking to a meeting and the drop was happening 9 a.m. New York time. And I was like, shoot, am I going to miss my own drop? I know. So, <laughs> like, what's <laughs> happening? And then I go into my mobile phone and then I, I mean, I'm the founder, so I shouldn't be impressed, but I was impressed. I, pr I promise it was a very impressive moment. I go, I log in and then I bought with Apple Pay and within like 10, 15 seconds, I have purchased the NFT. And yes, I designed the user journey. But I was still very impressed that all of a sudden it just worked so easily. And I was like, did I just buy an NFT? <laughs> is this, this is what we're building? It's actually, and it was such a fantastic moment because I was all of a sudden, I was an actual user. I was on a rush. I, I didn't have, we don't get any special access. We have to like try to get it just as much as everybody else. And I was running and I was walking and I'm roaming with my German data plan. And all of a sudden, I, I managed. And I was like, With wow. With German data plan. <laughs> there, there we go. Thank you, Vodafone. No, but it's I still like it was such an impressive moment. And I was like, wow. And yeah, those dolls sold out incredibly quickly. Yes, they yeah. did. They did. So what are some other projects that you've worked on during your time in blockchain, metaverse, Web3 that's worth noting? Oh, I mean, a couple of or things. Or you're excited about. Or Oof, well, I'm excited about so many things. But I, I well, at, at the team at, at Luxo, the, at the team building Luxo, we are working on, on an in-house project called Mason Lux, like our token. Um, and it's very sickly, we're creating this small, because it's meant to be small, digital world. Nice. That, you know, our users will be able to access. We have an activation in Paris, this, uh, this next uh, ETC Paris. Um, and we're going to have a, some activation and so on and kind of like start revealing the users while we're cooking. Uh, but you have to imagine it's like Truman Show without the spooky part and Web3 come together in a very curated, beautiful, kind of like futuristic experience. And all of a sudden I'm back to like my architectural background comes again back into, into use and the dematerialize is going to start exploring more and more the world of what we call expressives which is NFTs that are like around makeup, auras, all of the, these things that don't, you know, either in the real world, they don't exist in the first place, or they are like some sort of consumable like makeup, right? That are meant to like be used and, 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 and cease to exist. So we are exploring in that sense and the dematerializes going to start doing some things in that direction. So I don't know if you can answer this today, but I'm super interested in NFTs with beauty. Yes. Because I know that was in your initial white paper and, yes. you know, we don't have enough time, but obviously we're going to have to sit down again <laughs> because there's so many use cases, right? Yes, too. And um, let's talk about that one. Like how, what is a use case? Yeah. Potentially for beauty and, and Web3. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's so many angles to beauty, but I think it's one of the most fun industries in the world, right? And from like an economics perspective, there's this like red lipstick case about how, you know, lipsticks, they perform really well, no matter what's, what's happening in the economy, apparently. Uh, for us, for like, uh, you know, we enter potentially the first luxury item that you got as a teenager is you were brave in enough to enter a Chanel store and get that lipstick. And then you walk out with the little bag and you feel like I made it. 
Um, <laughs> so beauty is just awesome, and it's and it's fun and it's self-expression and all of those amazing things. And I, I think it tends to be deemed superficial, and I think that doesn't. I think it's not really true. I think it's as a, does fashion, right? Yeah, and yeah. it's. I think we we have identities and we're unique, and you know, most of us have two arms and two legs and a head and. You know, we do things to like feel more like this is me. This is the way I represent myself and express the singularity that all of us have inside. So I think those are a few strategies that we have is around beauty and, 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 and fashion. And the, the beautiful thing about digital makeup is, you know, for example, all of a sudden, uh, I see, uh, my friends who identified as male being very comfortable with the approach of like digi- a digital kind of like enhancement or a digital piece they potentially wouldn't go into a store and buy makeup right but all of a sudden the digital part feels intelligent for them since it's interesting Mm. it's it's not a risk so you can explore Explore. the look with the the NFT with the NFT so a beauty brand can potentially sell you this look or that look and you purchase the NFT and now you can see what you would look like 100% Okay, and of course we (laughs) do that today with filters right and you will say like, okay, if I already get it for free, why should I get now an NFT? And that's the, the main question people will ask. And the thing is, okay, you own this piece of the code and it will give you access to the, all this different experience. But primarily maybe that, that NFT might gain you access to once this beauty brand decides to produce an actually in-life collection mm-hmm. based on the data and the knowledge that they have from their users of what was exciting and beautiful on the digital collection so you can also use it for like forecast things and try new stuff and you know in the digital world you can change looks as many times as you want during the day you can have def- thousands and thousands of products and, you know having a makeup draw my makeup draw is already like collapsed so i can't buy any more makeup but in your your digital makeup draw can have all of these different things and all of a sudden you know you can potentially your digital maker can give you voting rights towards the next collection. Can I, give you all I of this. I completely diff- get it. Last yeah. summer I was in London yeah. and I was in Selfridges and at Mac they had something like 15 different looks and you can sit there and look into an iPad and then press through and see exactly. all the different looks. And that's how I was able to decide on buying a shadow I would never buy, a blush I would never buy. 100%. And so I completely understand the proposition now. Thank Brava. you for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So needless to say, Web3 has had a bumpy road over the last year mm-hmm. or so. What are your thoughts on the ecosystem today and what do you predict for the future? Oof. That's a hard question. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Let me get out my glass board. Um, <laughs> no, I think, you know, um, we had had a bumpy road, but it's, it's the way I like to see blockchain. If it's like, if the whole world, all of a sudden, we have to agree on something, how is that supposed to work? So it's mirroring a lot of the dynamics that are happening in the world that already exists at an accelerated pace in a kind of like an arena where all of a sudden this insane amount of value are being created mm-hmm. and this volatility and anybody can participate and all of that stuff. So we're dealing with all the growing pains that come with a decentralized ledger technology that is like a little bit of like anarchism, quite frankly, right? And communities have to form and communities have to come together and agree into things and that consensus within the communities need to exist. And, and that's the beauty of it. But yeah, it's like, it's, it's not easy and it shouldn't be easy, right? Because there's no one central authority telling you what's up and what you're supposed to do. This is like everybody decides 
what's the best way and all of the certain like-minded people come together and start moving in that direction. So yeah, and of course, open the gates for a lot of like scams and speculators and like strange businesses and all of that. Um, you know, it's like, you know, regulators need to catch up, uh, you know, lawmakers need to catch up, lawyers need to get educated, like so many things need to happen. But I think we are overall on an amazing trajectory because it's a technology that is very young still. Mm -hmm. We are like year kind of like 11 almost since the, the beginning. And, you know, everybody's counting the clock from the moment the, the, the white paper from Bitcoin was published. And, you know, it was not like they did a marketing campaign for it. It was like they just put it on the Internet. Right. And people start picking up. So it has been like this, this exponential growth. They started at one and then we are by a uh, high multiple at this point. So I think, you know, I think for the future, I'm extremely optimistic. I think that comes from being from the Caribbean. <laughs> being an, uh, sunshine house. <laughs> no, sunshine, I'm, I'm an optimistic and I, I'm an optimist. And, you know, I think what is going to happen is that we are going to start seeing, um, you know, these communities forming and having very clear opinions about certain things. We're going to see amazing products being built. Completely new ecosystems will appear. I think Web2 companies are going to have a massive issue catching up. I think we're going to see a massive disruption. A lot of businesses going out, becoming outdated. A lot of brands that we know for decades, they will become like irrelevant. And we will see a massive amount of like new companies and business and creators from all parts of the world emerging and powering this greater economy. And I think, you know, the prediction for the future is that there will be many more bumpy roads, bumps around the road. There will be, you know, more like prices going down and crisis prices going up and all of that shebang. But overall, we're in a massive process of transformation and that transformation is not going to stop. And eventually we're going to have amazing products and services and they are built on, on, on premises. They're way more fair and interesting. Yeah, that's so exciting because the landscape and communication channels and ways in which brands reach their target consumers is ever expanding. Um, you know, how do you see Web3 supporting a brand's growth today and the future? Yeah. There are so many, you know, luxury brands, big name brands that have dibbled and, you know, dabbled yeah. in the space, you know, just jumping ahead in order to do something to say that they were forward. And it's kind of gotten quiet right now. And I really love this moment of these new brands continuing to do things. What, what do you think the proposition for growth is for any brand yeah. in this space. I mean, it is like the world is changing and it's going to change and you need to do something. And, you know, and I think I think the biggest risk is uh, uh, KPIs. You know, like you might be performing really well right now. It might mean nothing in five years. Right. right? I'm pretty sure Blockbuster was doing great until they weren't. Mm. Right? There was a Blockbuster in every corner when I was a kid. Yep. And now there's like one left. So I think the fact that you're doing well doesn't mean that you will continue to do well, especially if the rules of the game fully change. So I think, you know, um, the, this world that we're moving towards, this dematerialized world of these limitless and amazing products is actually embracing even more what brands are. It's about all of the intangibles that represent a brand, all of the things that make us love brands, right? It's not like necessarily what? like, for example, when we go and make a purchase decision, it's not necessarily a very pragmatic decision. I'm going to buy this pair of jeans because it's higher quality than the other one. You might choose a pair of jeans just because you like the brand more. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's another one of identical quality, 
for a maybe cheaper price, but you just don't like the brand that much. You know, I think that, that, that those decisions are not necessarily pragmatical. We just love, we subscribe to the beliefs of a, of a brand. We identify with the values. We identify with the, the way they view the world. We identify with their perception of beauty. And then we subscribe to that ethos. And then we make uh, user purchases decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's even, if that proposition, it is in the core of this Web3 world, right? It's all about those intangibles that become really, really real in a fully digital world. So I think it's that exercise and that, that, that challenge of embracing what does it mean for my brand today if I don't have to manufacture a physical product ever again, who are we? Right? And all of those pieces that are beyond the pieces of leather and cotton, that's what it is. Right. And then you have to take that and take it to a world that has no limits and has no gravity and has none of that stuff that is being kind of like stopping us and nothing will age and we will all look beautiful forever. <laughs> but, you know, like take that and translate it there. And um, I think that's an amazing challenge for brands to take. And I do think many, many brands are going to succeed on that. And I think many brands won. Like they just, and that's totally fine. And I think. The most exciting part, I think, not the most exciting, but I think the biggest challenge would be around talent. Because if I'm a young creator today and I can enter a market, why should I go work for a brand? And I don't, I, I don't have the answer. The answer would be, don't, don't, don't do it. Right. So I think the challenge will be for brands is to understand, okay, how do we still maintain not only cultural relevance, but uh, being attracted for creators to still come to us? And to work with, help create. To help create, to work with us. Yeah. Because I think if a very talented person won't need, besides like, you know, gaining job experience and hanging out with other people, um, they won't need to do it. They can just go ahead and build their own vision and of the world. So I think that those are the interesting challenges that are coming. But I am super optimistic and I think I love to see how so many fashion brands have been so, so brave and go ahead and try Yeah, and and these brands should continue to be brave. I think this is a call to action. If you have a brand or you're thinking of a brand, get in the lab. You know, allocate time, resources to think about this because the future is now and it's just going to continue evolving. Yes, You know, and there's so many communities being built quietly around this that are just trickling into the global consumer market. 100%. The future is indeed present. (laughs) So there are so many innovative companies and projects that are in the incessant stages right now. And I'm personally looking forward to the evolution and growth of how these technologies will converge and strengthen and build the new Web3 ecosystem of tomorrow. Are there any trends that you're seeing at this moment that are exciting or inspiring you? Ooh, amazing. I mean, I think, you know, in terms of aesthetics, we have seen a lot of like the aesthetics from the gaming world kind of like migrating into into this whole digital products trends that we have now and also then coming into physical production. So you have all of these products that look full of fantasy or like the Loewe pixel collection and a bunch of different stuff. That oh, I love that pixel collection. Uh, J.W. Anderson is like killing it. I saw the shirt on an e-commerce platform and it's I had insane. to zoom in to yeah. make sure that it was actually... It looks like it shouldn't be real. Right. You know, and you know, I do love products like... They have that twist of like surrealism and like the materiality challenges you and you don't know if it's enhanced, you tell enhanced or not. 
So they're informing each other, right? Okay. There was an architect that says that New York existed before New York in the cinema. Because he says like the, 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 the vision of New York in the cinema informed New York back. Right. Um, so I think it's a little bit of that that we're seeing in fashion and in culture in general. All of a sudden, the digital stuff is, is informing the physical stuff and vice versa. I get it. Um, and I think, uh, I mean, between the, all of the stuff that is happening in AI now by all of this, by opening these tools and Midjourney and ChatGPT and all of that stuff, uh, all of a sudden we have like, we have tapped on a well of like infinite possibilities. Yes. And and that's incredibly exciting. So I think in terms of trends, I mean, I cannot stop using the 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 Discord bots to generate another and another image. Um, and I think you know it's just in general just to see and you know like act, like human creators, you know, coming up with with these collections and the, and these products that really are so full of fantasy and reminiscence and you know feel like they come from a video game or another world, it is incredible. So I think uh, by the time you and I don't look this young anymore, <laughs> uh, the world is going to be a wild place because I think as much as we try to imagine it and, and we're actively participating in, in, in building that, that those dreams that we have, I think it's going to go beyond our wildest dreams. Yeah. And I can't wait to see it. Yeah. So my next question is, are we a long way off from widespread adoption? What will it take? That's a great question. I think, I think honestly, I was talking the other day to my team and, you know, we talk about this stuff every day. And I, I, ha I have the feeling that actually the, the modern blockchain technology and the challenges and, you know, Luxo is coming out. We're in the process of launching with a lot of things. Uh, no, no, our products are going to solve a lot of these problems that we have right now in Web3. But I think it's not a blockchain problem. I actually think the problem is a hardware issue because everything that we're describing uh, is like, where do we experience it in the way that we are all feeling it should be? You know, when we talk about the metaverse and these digital uh, spaces and the juxtaposition between physical and digital, where is that actually happening? It happens a little bit in our mobile phones because we are like in a symbiotic relationship with it yeah, and we're like cyborgs, but we are, there, it's not there yet, right? So I think once, uh, you know, either Apple or yep. another company kills the best-selling product and give us the next product that hopefully is going to be that insane, you know, looking glass that we're going to put on and it's going to have us, have all of us living in two realities yeah. at the same time. Then I think that might actually be be the thing that it will acceler accelerate that adoption. Listen, Facebook changing its name to Meta definitely Boom. was a uh, you know a, a bomb heard around the world and made such a huge change. Absolutely, and I think it's such a it was such a brave move. And you know yeah. we should forget we shouldn't forget that even though uh, Mark Zuckerberg he's been doing this job for three hundred years, he's a very young person. Yes. You know, he was born in 1984, a great year, by the way. And, <laughs> you know, and, and he's very young. And I think he's very aware. Clearly, he is very aware of what's culturally happening in the world. And right. I think it's awesome that he making moves in that in that direction. And we all hope he's going to embrace decentralization. Yeah. I have a couple more questions, but I feel like we may have answered them. Like, what advice would you give to executives and decision makers who are slow to address the proposition of Web3 for their businesses? I, I think we answered it, but I do, yeah, but I do think, you know, like maybe what we can add to that, though, is like if you're an executive today 
and you're entering the Web3 space. Like, obviously, you can go via a marketing strategy, but you need to make sure that it's not only happening on your marketing department. You need those strategies to have, like, long legs and you need those strategies to be funded within, like, the, the deep kind of, like, operational heart of the company. And not only like a bit like short, like in terms of time frames, like shorter market strategies. Well, Marjorie, it was so phenomenal having this conversation with you. Yes. You um, touched on so many great things, enlightened so many different areas. And I could literally sit here with you for another hour. And, talk, and me with you. And talk about <laughs> so much more. I have like so many questions, but we'll keep it short. Um, how can people listening follow you and stay up to date with your work? Amazing. Well, you guys can follow my companies. Obviously, Luxo is in social media and in Discord, you know, Instagram, Twitter, the usual suspect is L-U-K-S-O. Um, and then you can find everything we're up to. The Dematerialize is also very, very uh, active in social media. We spell the Dematerialize with an S and not with a C. Um, and we are in TikTok, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find me, Marjorie Hernandez, also in social media. I try to share my thoughts and ideas on a daily. And yeah, yeah, there we, they can find us. Fantastic. Well, thanks for being here. It was such an honor to have you here. You. And this is What's Next Podcast with you, Mindy Francis. And we had the best conversation with Marjorie Hernandez, the founder of Luxo and The Dematerialized. Have a good one. Thank you, babes. All right. All right. <laughs>